before I dive into it this morning, I just want to quickly share. I've sh- I shared in the first service too. Uh, Steph actually caught me off guard when she asked us to pray for a woman during worship this morning. Uh, and in the first service, uh, I thought it was amazing. So in the first service, I prayed for Steph. Um, and I thanked God that we have such incredible woman, women leaders here at Fort City. Uh, people like Steph and Dulcie and my wife. I almost forgot to say my wife in the first service. Uh, and even uh, students like Kasia, who is in the kitchen serving coffee each week. Uh, Kasia this morning told me that I have a very punchable face. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with her. Um, <laughs> and before, just quickly, uh, I, have to, I have to say this. Um, I, we have to talk about this shirt. I know you're all looking at it, and uh, it was a gift from my mom, and so as a gift to her on Mother's Day, I'm going to wear it just this once, and never again. Okay, that's enough of that. I have been blessed to have strong, passionate women of character in my life. My mom is one of those women. If you know her, uh, that you know that she is a tough lady. She's actually very soft on the inside, but quite often very prickly on the outside. Uh, I remember when she used to be the office admin here at Fort City. Uh, she was really good at her job with one glaring weakness. She had a particular way of answering the phone that made people not want to call the church. She had like a really mean phone voice. She would answer, Hello, Forming Maria Lance Church! <laughs> people didn't really like calling back then. Uh, she didn't mean to sound that way. That's just how she would sound on the phone. But I would do this thing where I'd call uh, just to test her. And so she'd answer, and then I'd grade her on her answer, how nice she sounded, and then maybe tell her to smile when she answered the phone. You know, maybe that'll make you sound warmer. I was kind of a jerk. Um, but my mom is one of the most influential people in my life uh, when, it comes to the de- when it came to the development of my personal faith. The way she talked about God, uh, the way she talked about her own faith, her hope in heaven, is what watered the seed of faith in my heart. And I have faith today because of my mom. There's also my mother-in-law. Her name is Miss Terry. I'm an adult, and I still call my mother Miss Terry. Uh, We were visiting them in Arkansas when Justice was just a baby, and uh, I was carrying Justice out into their backyard to take him to go swimming in their backyard pool. And I got to the pool, and there was a huge snake wrapped around the ladder. I'm talking like a a meter long. And uh, I screeched like a little child, And Miss Terry came running out of the house thinking somebody had injured themselves or gotten hurt. And she said, what's wrong? And I just kind of pointed at the snake and she rolled her eyes at me. And then she grabbed the hoe that was leaning up against the house and she chopped that snake up into like a thousand pieces. And then she looked at me and she said, it's safe now. Not my best moment. But there was a time at Miss Terry's church when students of a different color and from a different economic background started showing up at their youth group. And many parents 
began to complain about this. They didn't like what was happening in the youth group, but not Miss Terry. She took a stand that everyone was welcome at their church, that nobody be, would be turned away, and she even went so far as to use the church bus to go to these kids' neighborhoods and pick them up to bring them to church. You guys, I'm crying about my mother-in-law. What is wrong with me? She's amazing. And then there's my wife, who's also really great. Um, one time I was sitting on the couch and my wife came in holding our visa bill, shaking it in the air, and she said, why do we have a $200 charge to Michelle? And I got nervous. <laughs> it took a minute and we looked and we figured it out when you buy groceries at Michelle's Independent in Timberlee, it says Michelle on your visa bill. So we had a tense moment there while we were trying to figure out who the heck Michelle was. But the truth is, in our marriage, my wife is the strong one. She's the one who pulled us through the three-year period where it looked like our son Camille might never join our family. And she's the one who, when we were evacuated uh, with our two boys, she had to continue to parent alone because I was stuck in Fort McMurray, and she's the one who, when I was faced with the decision uh, of staying with the security of a job in the oil sands or working at this church, she's the one who told me to follow my heart. She's always been the strong one. I have been blessed to have strong, passionate women of character in my life. One of the things that I want to teach my kids is that when it comes to disagreements with other people, that we can't change other people. We can't make other people do what we think is right. We can only change ourselves. We can only change how we act and how we feel. For many, the default in solving uh, relational tension is to look outward. Is to, uh, it's just too easy to look at other people and see what they're doing wrong and how they can fix it. But really, the only power that we have is over ourselves. And often, outward problems have inward solutions. And today, I'm going to ask a few questions, and I'm not necessarily going to answer them for you. One of the things uh, that we say almost every week in our Wednesday night starting point group is that uh, a good question is better than a bad answer. And so today I'm going to try to ask some good questions. And the questions I'm going to ask are going to hopefully have, have us look inwardly. And hopefully that will change how we act outwardly. We can change questions like what can we change in ourselves that will make our families stronger? What parts of our character can we develop that will help our family grow together? Questions like, uh, like that, because I think that a strong family starts with a strong you. Now, as a backdrop to those questions that I'm going to ask, we are going to look at the historical account of the day that Jesus was killed. And this is a story that is dominated by men. Men accused him, uh, men are the ones who beat him, men are the ones who murdered him, men are the ones who wrote it down in the history books. But in honor of today, Mother's Day, 
I want us to try to see this often told story through the eyes of the women in it. To see the untold story of deep character and faith that these women uh, exemplified that's just beneath the, the surface of this story. And to see if there's something that we can learn about uh, living our lives with character and purpose like the women. So let's talk about it. It was late at night. Uh, Jesus had just finished a meal with some of his closest friends. They broke bread together and they uh, drank wine together and only Jesus knew at that dinner what was coming for him. Only Jesus knew what was going to happen to him the next day and because he knew his heart was heavy, he knew the next day was going to be his last day. And so uh, in his grief and his frustration and his sorrow, he went off to pray and he asked some of the disciples to join him. And he went off and he began to pray and he wept. He was in anguish. He beat his chest and he asked his father in heaven to spare him what was about to happen to him. But he always finished his prayers with the words, yet not my will, but yours be done. And while Jesus was experiencing this dark night of his soul, the disciples, the men that he had asked to join him, fell asleep. And Jesus was truly alone in that moment. Suddenly, distant torches lit up the night sky, uh, and a mob of religious, religious leaders descended on Jesus, and they arrested him in the dead of night on trumped-up charges, and they planned to have him convicted and killed. And in that moment, the men that had followed Jesus for three years of his ministry fled and abandoned him. Jesus was dragged to the Sanhedrin, which is a religious court overseen by the high priest. The high priest's name was Caiaphas, and he had one goal, to convict Jesus of a crime he did not commit and to have Jesus executed. In the middle of the night in this court, they beat Jesus, they hit him on the head over and over again, they tore his clothes, and they spat in his face. And Peter, one of the disciples, sat just outside the window trying to hear and listen to what was going on. And all the while, denying to everybody around him that he even knew Jesus. So the sun comes up, it's morning, and Jesus is dragged before Pilate, who's the governor of the whole area. And here he is accused by the chief priest. His name is dragged through the mud, and the entire time that he is being accused of these things, he does not defend himself. He remains silent and doesn't point any fingers. He doesn't claim his innocence. He stands steadfast in the face of these false accusations. But Pilate, being a good man, doesn't find a good reason to convict Jesus. But he's nervous because the crowd is growing unruly, and he fears a rebellion is brewing in the crowd. And this is where the lone woman in that story makes herself known. It's Pilate's wife. At a time in history, at this time in history, women's testimony wasn't even considered usable in court. They were not regarded as equal to men, and they were not given a voice on matters like this one. And they were almost never in the room where decisions were made. So here we are, looking in on a room full of men who are spouting lies and slander about Jesus, and now a woman is the only one to speak the truth. She tells her husband, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She's warning her husband that he's innocent. 
the only person with any conviction in this whole place. This woman spoke the only true words in the face of lies. Conviction is a character trait that is a whole lot more rare than it should be. To be willing to speak truth in the face of lies. To be willing to stand up for what's right when no one else will. What would it mean for our families if each of us modeled that sort of conviction? What would our children learn from us if they saw us stand up to injustice? What would they learn from us if we were to uh, take a stand for what's right, for what's good, and what's true? Pilate ends up giving in to the pressure, and he convicts Jesus. And he turns Jesus over to the soldiers. And they take him out from court and they strip his clothes off him and they begin to mock him. And they fashion a crown of thorns and press it down into his scalp. And again, Jesus is bit, uh, beaten up and spit on. They lead him up a hill to a place called Golgotha. And there with his disciples, nowhere to be found, Jesus is nailed to a tree. His arms spread wide hanging on a cross in the air for all to see. It is difficult to imagine just how Jesus must have been feeling in those moments, hanging on that cross. He must have felt so very alone. He would have hardly seen a friendly face throughout this whole ordeal. Have you ever heard someone say that on this day that Jesus was abandoned by everybody who followed him? That he was totally alone and that the people who had followed him had fled completely? It's something I've heard before. But it's not true. Many fled, many hid, many ran away. But as Jesus scans the crowd from the cross, his eyes fall upon some friendly faces. Matthew tells us, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed him to care for his needs. Not everyone abandoned Jesus. There was a group of courageous women who never gave up on him. See, it was not safe for them to be there. If people knew that they were followers of Jesus, it would have meant trouble for them. But that didn't stop them. These women were willing to risk it all for the sake of Jesus these women at the foot of the cross are the very definition of courage. What would it mean for our families if we dared to follow through? The, to have the courage to have the difficult conversations. The courage to allow ourselves to become vulnerable. And men, this is a really good one for us. Not because we're braver or bigger than women, but because when it comes to family, sometimes we oftentimes have a tendency to lean away. We avoid the hard talks and we steer away from conflict. We cover up our emotions. And instead of having the courageous discussions and doing the courageous things that we should be doing for our families, we turn to distractions like video games or drinking, anything that will help us escape the moment. But men, what would it look like for our families if we had the courage to lean in, to steer straight towards the problems and the conflicts that we so desperately want to avoid? What would it mean for us to lead with the sort of courage that these women displayed at the foot of the cross? There is a gut-wrenching, intimate moment 
from this day that John wrote down in his book. See, everything's about to change. The cross is the turning point for all humanity. And Jesus hangs on the cross dying. And the pain is overwhelming and his sorrow is deep. And his head lifts up and through his bloodied hair he sees his mom, Mary. And he sees her crying. And he sees the pain on her face. And in the middle of his own pain and suffering he is overcome with love and compassion for her. And he sees John standing there with her. And from the cross, Jesus says to his mom, he says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple John, he says, here is your mother. Jesus is taking care of his mother while he's hanging on the cross. In the middle of his suffering, his love and care for his mom motivates that to make sure after he is gone, someone is going to be there for her. Before he has finished his work, before he breathes his last breath, he makes sure to show his mom that he loves her. One more time. John tells us that from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. It can be hard for us to see past our own stuff, our own stuff sometimes. You come home from a long day at work or you've had a busy week and all you want to do is take a moment for yourself. It takes so much energy to look past our own immediate needs and wants and to see and care for the needs of others. Compassion is not something that comes naturally to most of us. But what would it mean for our families, as parents, as brothers and sisters, if we were able to forgo our own personal desires and take care of each other first, to lead in compassion and understanding, to care less about being right and care more about being kind? That's a very difficult one for me. I really like being right. So a little while after Jesus arranged for John to take care of his mother, and knowing that everything that he had planned to do, had, he had now accomplished, Jesus looked into the sky, and with the last of the air in his lungs, he breathed out the words, It is finished. And then he died. And his mother, and Mary Magdalene, and the other women who were there, heard his last words. Jesus would be taken down from the cross and he'd be taken to a tomb that was close by. And in all this time, from the cross to the tomb, it appears that the women who had gathered there did not ever leave his side. And as Jesus was laid to rest inside the tomb, the women who were ever present watched as a stone was rolled in front of the entrance. In the aftermath of the death of Jesus, those who had followed him before his death were devastated. They truly thought that he was the one. They truly believed that he was the Messiah who came to rescue and restore them. But now he was dead. And they had been wrong. They scattered and hid and they stopped believing. It was not safe for them to be discovered as someone who followed Jesus. And there would be dark days ahead for them. But on the third day, a group of women headed out to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. Maybe to pay their respects, perhaps to pray. It doesn't really tell us why they went there. 
But it does tell us that it was this group of women who discovered that the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus was missing. Now, many of us know how this story ends, but in those moments, in those hours, nobody thought that Jesus was somehow alive again. Even the people who had followed him in his life, nobody was thinking that he had been resurrected from the dead. No one even thought that that was a possibility. Mary had been one of those women who found the empty tomb, and now Mary stood there alone outside the tomb crying. Someone had stolen her Jesus, and her heart was broken once again. Two angels who appeared to be men sat where Jesus' body had been laid, and they asked Mary, why are you crying? And she told them, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have taken him. And this is the good part. Jesus appears, and he walks up behind her, and he says, woman, why are you crying? And she looks at Jesus, and in her grief, she doesn't even recognize him. In fact, John tells us that Mary thought he was the gardener. And then something happened that Mary would tell people over and over again for the rest of her life. Every time she would retell this story, there would be this moment of immense tension. A broken-hearted Mary looks into the eyes of Jesus, and all he has to do is say her name. He says, Mary. She knows his voice. He had heard him say her name a thousand times before. Mary, that's all it took. She flings her arms around him, and she hugs him, and she shouts in joy. And Jesus tells her that he can't stay with her now. He's got work to do, but he gives her something very important to do. He tells her to go back to her group who's still hiding and tell them everything that she has seen. Tell them that Jesus is risen. Even though the word of a woman isn't considered proof in court, even though men are the ones who, write his, who wrote the history books, and even though many would doubt her story because she wasn't a man, God chose a woman to be the first witness to the greatest story ever told. He chose a woman to be the first person to know that Jesus was risen. And when Mary did what Jesus told her to, and she ran back to the camp to tell everybody that Jesus was risen, she became the first preacher of the resurrection of Christ. In a time when women were almost silent or invisible in literature, they became an integral part of the story of Jesus. They never left his side, and they were as committed to him in life as they were to him in death. What would it look like for our families if we could muster just an ounce of the commitment displayed by the women in these stories? The courage of these women is weaved throughout the whole story. Their conviction to do right seemed like it never faltered. Their compassion set them apart, and they were committed right to the end and beyond. These women model what it looks like to have your character, to have your personhood rooted firmly in the person of Jesus. When we talk each week here at Fort City about what it means to look and love like Jesus, that's what we're talking about. Okay, I don't think that I could forgive myself if I didn't tell just one more quick story about my mom. 
During the fire, our church began to live stream our services. Uh, so many of us were displaced all across the country, and so we decided uh, that this would be a great way to get everybody back together, even if it meant only online. And our church uses a service called Livestream to stream our services. And when I first set up our church's Livestream account, uh, I was in Turner Valley visiting my parents, and, and I didn't have my computer, and so I used my mom's iPad to set it up. Uh, well, so that we'd be ready when we got back to Fort McMurray to start streaming our services. Well, uh, I forgot to log off of our live stream account on her iPad. And so one day, about a month later, uh, my mom sat down on her couch. She put her feet up on her coffee table. She pulled out her iPad and tried to watch our services uh, through the live stream app on her iPad. Instead of that, she accidentally went live as Fort City Church on Facebook. Uh, and so uh, Fort City Church began live streaming a video of my mom's toes. Uh, and all you could hear in her, uh, in the background, was her complaining that the iPad wasn't working, that none of it, it wasn't her fault, and she called Jerry to come in the room to help her. And it was a big disaster, and it went on for eight minutes. To this day, it is one of our most watched services still. <laughs> to this day, my mom still blames the iPad, but I'm pretty sure it was user error. Today's message is not about how to raise obedient kids, and it's not about how to navigate relational tension with your parents or with your siblings. It's not about teaching you what it takes to have a great family just like it's not about teaching you how to use an iPad. Today's message is this. It's not the iPad. It's you. That a healthy family starts with a healthy you. That if you want your family's brokenness to be made whole again, your brokenness needs to be made whole again first. That if you want your family to be become everything that God created it to be, that you first need to become what God created you to be. And that means asking God to lead your life. When you commit to following Jesus, he begins to change you from the inside out. And Paul put it this way. I really like it. He said, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If we can learn something from the women in these stories today, it's this. When you follow him, he changes you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today for all of the people in this room, all of the families represented in this room today. And God, we acknowledge that there is a lot of brokenness out there. There is a lot of hurt happening in families. There is a lot of families that need help. But Father God, I pray that you would begin with each of us. And Father God, we would find our wholeness in you, that we would find our future in you, that we would find our identity in you. And that when you change us, when you transform our hearts and our minds, that the things around us will get better too.
I thank you for each person here today, God. Praise in your holy name. Amen.